transit is and, and has always been in New York sort of like air and water. It's a public service that needs to be supported. Um, it really is what makes New York and the New York experience possible. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged in depth this week with Kathy Rinaldi, who is the president of Metro North Railroad and the interim president of Long Island Railroad in New York City. Kathy, thank you so much for being with us today on the show. Thank you, Paul, for having me. Yeah. A lot of stuff going on in New York. Of course, the there Big Apple. And, uh, and you're running two of the biggest commuter railroads in the world, uh, clearly two of the biggest ones in our country. Uh, I guess, tell us some about them. Tell us about the railroad and what's going on there. Yeah. So um, thank you again for having me here today. Yeah, I've been the the president of Metro North since uh, February of 2018. Uh, and I've been almost a year in the interim job at Long Island Railroad. And it's obviously, you know, a really exciting, challenging time for the entire industry as we recover from COVID. Uh, you know, obviously restoring ridership and, and uh, you know, getting ourselves, you know, back after the pandemic is obviously, you know, something that the entire industry is dealing with. Uh, and then on the Long Island side, especially, there's a lot of major capital investments coming online uh, that are really going to revolutionize travel on Long Island. And it's really exciting to be, you know, at the helm of the Long Island Railroad at a time when these investments are, you know, finally coming to fruition. That's great. So uh, when it comes to um, these two railroads, kind of explain to our listeners, you know, what they are, how they work, how they tie into the overall sure. MTA, the situation there in New York. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, people have heard of the MTA. It's the Metropolitan Transportation Authority. It's kind of the, it's the uh, kind of mothership for the entire uh, range of uh, transit providers within the New York metropolitan area. So both Metro North and Long Island Railroads are subsidiaries, Long Island Railroad are subsidiaries of the MTA. Um, so Long Island Railroad runs from Penn Station, uh, Atlantic Terminal in Brooklyn, and, you know, soon uh, Grand Central Madison, a Grand Central, uh, you know, in the Grand Central Terminal Complex out to Long Island, uh, as far east as Montauk and Greenport. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, since the, you know, 1800s, it's, it's one of the oldest established commuter rails out there. Uh, Metro North, uh, just earlier this month in January, celebrated its 40th anniversary. Uh, so Metro North is another uh, MTA subsidiary, and it runs service east of the Hudson River on three lines, the, the Hudson, the Harlem, and the New Haven. Uh, the New Haven uh, within the state of Connecticut is operated under a service agreement with the Connecticut Department of Transportation. Uh, and we also have services west of Hudson on the Pascack Valley and Port Jervis lines that are run under contract with New Jersey Transit. So these are traditional commuter rail services. Um, and uh, I was earlier on the podcast, actually the first episode of the year, um, I was grateful to have on uh, the CEO of, of another uh, major uh, commuter rail system, Jim Derwinski, who's CEO oh, yeah. of Metro Commuter Rail in Chicago. And uh, he was giving me kind of a view of how ridership is in the industry coming back from the pandemic. And of course, I think all 31 of the commuter rail systems in the country are still experiencing, you know, a, a slow recovery in the weekdays, but a faster recovery on nights and weekends with ridership. Some are actually over 100%. Tell us about what's happening uh, with your railroad when it comes to ridership. Yeah, I would say that that that, that uh, that's a reasonable um, statement of what's happening in, uh, in both uh, Metro North and Long Island Railroad as well. I mean, we never really expected 
um, at the very beginning of the pandemic for discretionary ridership to come back as quickly as it did. But really throughout the pandemic and, and even now, um, you know, we can sit, continue to see very, very strong ridership on the weekends. And we've been running 100% of our um, of our pre-COVID service at both railroads on the weekends for a while now. Um, so so yeah. we're back at 100%. Um, you know, during the week, it's a little bit different. And, and mostly that's because of just hybrid work. Um, so, uh, you know, both railroads have kind of become, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday railroads. Uh, that's where we see the highest ridership. You, you know, if you look back to the pre-COVID baseline, you know, between 65, 70%, maybe a little bit higher than 70% some days, um, of our pre-COVID ridership on Monday, Tuesday, I'm sorry, not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right. Monday and Friday, you know, people are taking those long weekends. So it's quite different, right? So we're not necessarily seeing that traffic come back, uh, on Mondays and Fridays. Um, and, uh, so, so it's, it's just a bit different. The one thing that I would say though, uh, you know, especially at Metro North is that, um, you know, Metro North for many years now has had a very robust reverse commute. Um, you know, we have employment centers in White Plains, New York and Stanford, Connecticut, you know, Greenwich, Connecticut, New Rochelle, other locations, uh, that draw people out of the city. And, uh, you know, we've been seeing, you know, nice recovery on those reverse commute lines as well. Uh, and uh, one of the things that we're really excited about on Long Island Railroad is the recent completion of what we call the third track pro- uh, project, which is the construction of a third track along the main line. And the expectation is that this will also really boost opportunities for the reverse commute on Long Island, which just because of capacity issues has never really seen that. Um, so, you know, I, I think, I mean, I'm sure Jim probably said this as well. I mean, I think, you know, we're trying to be as opportunistic as possible in terms of how we think about bringing people back to the system. And uh, and not necessarily assuming that our core ridership is going to be, you know, stockbrokers getting on the train in the morning, going to the central business district and then coming home at night. I think we, we need to be more thoughtful in terms of how we can make the rail experience something that other people may want to take to be able to get to where they need to go. Yeah, that's good. What, why don't we uh, unpack that a little bit, what that could look like or what it is looking like for you now? I know one of the big things you've done, as you just mentioned, was uh, – make an amazing uh, investment in this Grand Central Madison. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, Grand Central Madison, it's been, you know, known for, for many, many years as East Side Access. Uh, this is the um, project that, you know, commenced in the early 2000s and was talked about well before then to bring direct Long Island Railroad service into a concourse below the existing Grand Central Terminal. Uh, so that project is nearing completion. There are some, some, you know, final testing items that need to be done before we can actually commence revenue service, which we, you know, hope to be announcing an opening day soon. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, you know, it gives, uh, th- there's a lot of advantages with respect to just sort of the straight up rail operation from for Long Island. It gives you a second terminal location uh, within Manhattan, which is great, you know, kind of that operational flexibility when there's, you know, issues at Penn, because, uh, you know, Penn can be a really tough environment. Uh, you know, Amtrak in, in coming years will be doing the East River Tunnel replacement. So by being able to divert so much service into Grand Central, we're able to weather that major capital project much, much better for our customers. Um, but the, the thing that I like to to talk about in terms of, you know, GCM coming online imminently is the connectivity that that's going to provide for the two railroads. Um, you know, currently, you know, in Grand Central, well, Grand Central, when Long Island only runs out of Penn, uh, you know, there's not a lot of connectivity. I mean, I actually live in the Metro North Service Territory and my parents live in the Long Island Railroad Service Territory. I never take the train to see them. It's just, it's too much of a hassle. You have to walk over to Penn from Grand Central or you take the subway or whatever and you just don't do it. And I do think that that connectivity within the same complex is going to provide tremendous opportunities 
uh, for customers of both railroads to be able to to cross over and and take the other service. Uh, you know, for folks like me who live up in the Hudson Valley to get to JFK, you know, you don't do that by rail now. So that's going to provide great opportunities for Yankee fans on Long Island to be able to take the train up to Yankee Stadium. Again, that doesn't really happen now. So I do think as we try to attract more riders back to both systems, I think that connectivity within the Grand Central Complex is going to provide an enormous opportunity, uh, which, you know, not just good for the railroad, but good for the, the you know, the region as a whole. You mentioned that um, weekends are picking up. How about nights uh, and maybe midday? Are you seeing any increases in kind of these off-peak periods? Yeah, I mean, you know, yes. Uh, you know, people are, are are taking the train for different reasons. Um, you know, uh, you know, medical appointments, whatever. But you know, I think early on at the pandemic, at least, uh, you know, I was hearing a lot about you know the flattening of the peak, and we weren't necessarily going to see the ridership be as peaky as as, as it had been previously. Our ridership is still pretty peaky. I mean, the peaks are lower, obviously, but the ridership yeah. is still pretty peaky. I mean, in the afternoon, you might have, you know, it starts a little earlier because you have like construction workers going home, that sort of thing. Uh, but by and large, the ridership is, I think, peakier than we had expected when the uh, when the pandemic started. Now, do you own the track uh, that you're running on or do you have to lease that from freight rail or how does that work? Um, so, so Long Island is all ours, right? Um, Metro North, as I said, on the, um, you know, within the state of Connecticut, I mean, New Haven line is the busiest line by far for, for, for Metro North. Okay. And, uh, you know, we have a, you know, an underlying service agreement with the state of Connecticut for, for the service that we run between, uh, you know, on the Connecticut side of the, the line right. uh, between uh, GCT and, and, and New Haven. So I guess what I was what I was asking that was are are you able to make any adjustments in headways or how many vehicles you're offering to kind of reflect what the current realities appear to be on ridership? Yeah, I mean we we're certainly looking at that, no question. I mean I think that uh, you know I, I think that we we want to be responsive to what uh, to to what the, the ridership patterns that we're seeing out there. Um, so one of the things that we're certainly looking at, especially on the Metro North side, because we don't have yeah, on the Long Island side, things are a bit more complicated because we have a, you know, a 40 percent increase in service that's scheduled to start imminently. Right. So, you know, I think we want to see what that ridership looks like and have those ridership patterns kind of develop before we make decisions with respect to, you know, what the future is going to look like. I think, you know, we've got sort of an interesting few months as we see, uh, you know, what's going to happen with respect to people migrating over to the new service uh, and how many new riders we're able to attract. On the Metro North side, yeah, one of the things that we're, we're actively looking at is, you know, do we want to potentially change service that we're offering on Mondays and Fridays, given that the demand is just different? Right. Uh, it's, it's different from the weekends. The patterns on Mondays and Fridays don't look the same as Saturday and Sunday. Um, but they sure as heck don't look the same as they do on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday either. So we're actively looking at whether we want to change, you know, what it is that we're providing on Mondays and Fridays. Talk to us about that 40% increase in service that you're getting in Long Island. What's that about? Yeah, I mean, so that's that's Grand Central Madison, right? right. So we're, we, we know, we have these opportunities for the new reverse commute based upon the third track. Um, you know, we're going to be bringing service into Grand Central, and it's a very robust service that we're going to yeah. be bringing into Grand okay. Central. So it's really a reimagining of sort of the traditional Long Island Railroad service, which, um, you know, I mean, it's a beautiful terminal. It's a fantastic service. I mean, it brings you to East Midtown. Um, but it is changing the way that we have historically offered service. So, for example, um, you know, there are going to be very, very, very few through trains to uh, Atlantic Terminal. Um, so as part of the East Side Access Project, there was a separate uh, platform that was constructed to allow largely what's going to look like a, a shuttle service between, um, between uh, Jamaica 
which is a major sort of transfer hub for us and and, and Atlanta terminal. So the frequency of service will be uh, will be better, um, but the you know the, the people who are used to taking a connecting train to Atlantic Atlantic terminal that that's that that's a big change for them because they're going to have to transfer to to a different train. Uh, and the schedule connections at Jamaica, which have always really been part of the Long Island Railroad experience, you know, change at Jamaica. Um, you know, that's you know that's going to go away as well because you know with the additional service, you know, the throughput that you need to be able to support two major uh, New York City terminals, you know, it doesn't allow for those kinds of uh, you know cross-platform transfers. So again, that's going to be a real change for our customers. So uh, you know, it's going to take people uh, you know a little bit to to be able to uh, you know get used to the fact that the that the service is changing so dramatically, but I think once they see, uh, you know, the benefits of the new terminal, the fact that it's East Midtown, the connectivity with Metro North, you know, the choice that it gives them with respect to getting to their destination, uh, we're really, really excited about that change. That is good. And you've got such a rich history on that line. I know my dad grew up in New York City and told me he used to ride ride it back in the 40s out to Long oh, Island. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. 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 He told me those stories. Um, many times and how it was cheap. I think it was maybe a nickel back then or something. Yeah. And he said, you Sign can ride. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about that financing. How, how is the service financed and how's the budget looking going forward? Yeah, I don't know that MTA and, and you know, the railroads, as I said, are part of MTA. Is, is, is that different from the rest of the industry, right? I mean, we were very, very fortunate to get the support that we got from Congress to get us through the the worst of the, the, the COVID, you know, drop off in ridership. Uh, which was, you know, as we all know, you know, very precipitous, right? In March of 2020, uh, you know, the first couple of months of 2020, we were looking, you know, we were looking to to surpass what we had done in previous years. And by the end of the month, we were carrying, you know, 5% of our pre-COVID ridership and, yeah. and, you know, really, really struggled for a while. I mean, I think 2022 generally for both railroads was actually a pretty solid year. Um, you know, we added more service back. We added more frequent express service back. So we are, you know, seeing... Uh, you know, really over the course of 2022, saw a nice bump up in ridership, and we're very gratified to see that. Um, but, you know, the hybrid work patterns really, you know, kind of changed the paradigm for commuter rail, and uh, those don't seem to be going away anytime soon. So, you know, it leaves us, I mean, we're, you know, given that we're so, uh, you know, heavily dependent upon the fare box, you know, you've got that gap there. So, uh, you know, MTA is actively engaged in terms of conversations with elected officials in terms of trying to identify alternative sources of funding to be able to plug that gap. Um, you know, our chairman, General Lieber, has been talking about how, um, you know, transit is and, and has always been in New York sort of like air and water. It's a, it's a, it's a public service that needs to be supported. Um, it really is what makes New York and the New York experience possible. Uh, so there's an active effort underway now, uh, to be able to make the case for sort of additional dedicated funding, but also, you know, not for nothing to sort of put pressure on the MTA operating agencies to be as efficient as possible in terms of where we, you know, where and how we provide service, right? So we need to, uh, you know, we, you know, we need to be very, you know, uh, thoughtful with respect to the possibility of efficiencies within our own operations, because we can't ask for additional public funding unless we've really, you know, tried to do business differently, given the the kind of reality in which we find ourselves now. Yeah. You know, somebody was talking to me recently and they were asking me, why did I think, you know, because I talked to transit agencies all over the world, why did I think that most Americans don't see transit as really woven into the fabric of their life like it is in Europe. And, mm -hmm. you know, the best answer I can come up with is the density of the cities in Europe and the small, small 
countries and areas there is that it's it's required. Like I'm headed over to Singapore to meet with Jeremy Yap at at uh, at LTA in a couple of weeks, and he's told me the same thing. It's such a dense city, you can't really make yeah. the city work without transit. Right, and that's the case for cities like Washington D.C., where I was at New last York. night at the Eno thing, New York, others. I mean, talk to us about that kind of the the rich tradition of transit, but also the fact that really the city doesn't work without it. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Traffic in New York is terrible. And and I think it's sort of nationwide, I think, you know, after COVID, traffic came back, you know, to pre-COVID levels and then some, right? If you want to get from point A to point B, uh, you know, anywhere in the in the New York metropolitan area, uh, you know, a car isn't necessarily the best way to do it, right? So, um, so uh, the connectivity that the subway system provides within the, the city of New York and the commuter rails provide, you know, through, through you know, throughout the suburban network, um, you know, it really, it, it, it was throughout the pandemic, it got essential workers where they needed to go. I mean, those were who, you know, those were folks that were riding during the worst of the pandemic were the firefighters, and, you know, the, uh, you know, police officers and, you know, the, the, the MTA workers, right? Those were the ones who were riding and, and, uh, you know, to be able to continue to, to, uh, kind of serve the region and to be able to, you know, kind of spur the economic recovery that we need post COVID. I mean, the, 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 the railroads and, and the subways and the buses, they're, they're all part of that. You, you know, you, you really, you know, New York is not New York without it. And I think the, the other thing too is just, it's, it's a, you know, the, the, the democracy of it all, you know, you've got stockbrokers, you've got uh, essential workers, yeah. you've got delivery people. I mean, you know, you know, everybody, everybody takes Mixing. everybody takes the train. It mixes yeah. everybody, right? I just, Recently, a couple months ago, I interviewed Rich Davey for the show, and we oh, were yeah. talking. Yeah, we were talking about how it all connects. So the commuter rail services that come into the city, there's good connectivity at certain hubs, right? With the bus oh, network, sure. and absolutely, the subway. absolutely. Do you see? I mean, how does that work for fares? Do, do people have a shared fare, uh, you know, card, or do they have to pay multiple times? Or how does that work in New York? Well, the one thing to talk about actually is Omni, which I think I don't know whether Rich spoke about that too. I mean, that's sort of the next generation of the um, of the uh, replacement of the Metro card, right? So, um, you know, we're trying to you know figure out how to integrate the uh, commuter rails now into the Omni experience, okay. so that yeah. it's, it becomes sort of a you know kind of a seamless, you know, singularly branded product. Um, that everybody can use. I mean, the railroads technically have their own tariffs and, you know, it's a different kind of system because you right. know, it's a zone-based system and all that. Um, but to what extent can we have a, uh, you know, a single branded thing, whether it's your phone or a card or whatever, that that provides a little bit more of a unified experience? Yeah, that's what uh, they were telling me about. They're working on it, Metro, too, to kind of connect in with everything. Everybody's piloting that. I mean, it's obviously the next step in and uh, the customer experience, improving the customer experience, right? To make it so they don't have to m- pay multiple times. Yeah. And I think, and I do think to that point, I mean, I think technology, uh, you know, we have to be, um, you know, thoughtful about, you know, what are people looking for that we're trying to attract back? And I think technology is really the heart of that. So, so you know, as an example, one of the things that uh, uh, both railroads did sort of in the immediate wake of COVID was to uh, to uh, implement technology that allows us to uh, gauge how many people are in each car okay. um, by the weight of the car. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's been enormously helpful, you know, sort of in the immediate aftermath of COVID, people wanted, you know, didn't want to go in crowded cars. So we were able to give them information with respect to how crowded the cars are, uh, and they could sort of decide where they want to stand on the platform and kind of plan their travel accordingly. So that's been really great. And we also use it as an input in terms of schedule development, to your point a little while ago, is, you know, how will we kind of 
you know, tailoring our schedules around the ridership that we're seeing out there. So that's been a really important input that we look at all the time. Uh, the other sort of innovation, not really an innovation, but the other kind of uh, change for our um, customers was we had a Metro North train time app and we had a Long Island Railroad train time app. And, you know, you could, you know, you could, uh, you, you didn't have a unified app for customers at both railroads. So earlier, just this past summer, I think in August, we launched a unified train time app to be able to purchase tickets for both railroads and plan your travel on both railroads. And, um, and uh, you know, you could see where your train is and, and uh, you know, it's getting, you know, rave reviews on, um, I, you know, at the at the app store. And it's been ju- just really a wonderful amenity for our customers to be able to, you know, plan all of their rail travel in a single app, buy their tickets in the app. And, and you know, that's the kind of stuff that I think our customers are looking for and they expect from us. Uh, as we begin to attract more and more of them to the system. We'll continue with Paul's interview with Kathy Rinaldi in just a moment. First, Mike's Minute with Mike Bismeyer. Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about leadership, mentorship, and kindness with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. 2023 is now upon us, and it's great to be speaking with you all again, and I look forward to the year ahead. I'll continue to chat about leadership, mentorship, and kindness, However, it's exciting to see Paul and the Unplugged team digging deeper into leadership with regular segments that will be bringing us insightful knowledge from our industry leaders that will continue to benefit us and allow us to enhance our personal toolkits. Being the inaugural year of the CUNA Mentorship Program in which I'm participating, I'm also looking forward to reporting out in the future and sharing some of the key learnings that I'll be privy to, working and collaborating with the mentee that I've been fortunate enough to be partnered with. That's the future of transportation and something that I'm always excited about. I do also want to take a closer look at kindness this year, something that I've always been passionate about, and in 2022, several articles discuss kindness as being an integral part of the future of leadership. Kindness is easy, it's free, and it's contagious. Just last week, while at a company event, I was honored when a team member announced that they'd been inspired by my continued random acts of kindness and had asked the restaurant to package up some food that was not committed. On our way back to the hotel, we handed off to folks experiencing homelessness. Truly overwhelming, and it's the little things that quite often make the biggest difference for those in need. If you have an example of a random act of kindness, a company initiative focused around kindness, or just someone you want to call out that has gone above and beyond, please do not hesitate to reach out to me, and I'll be sure to send a shout-out or a mention in one of the upcoming segments. Look me up on LinkedIn, Mike Bismeyer, or Kindness is Cool by The Biz, and I look forward to hearing from you. Have a great week. Kindness is Cool. Great. Uh, Kathy, tell us some about yourself, your career, and uh, you know how you got to where you're at. I'd be interested to find out some about that. I mean, you've, you've had a great career, as I understand it. Yeah, it's interesting. Kind of people come to these jobs in different ways. So, uh, so I'm actually a lawyer and, uh, you, you know, never thought I'd work at a railroad, right? He's just, you know, when I, when I, I'm an English major and, and a lawyer. So, um, so I worked for the, the New York State court system for actually a long time and, uh, you know, kind of aspired to be a judge. That's what I thought I was going to be when I grew up. And um, it, at one point, I accepted a job uh, with uh, the governor of the state of New York in, in the governor's counsel's office. And part of my portfolio in that position, this was late 90, early 2000s, uh, was the, uh, was transportation. So transportation, public authorities, environment, energy, that sort of stuff. So that was part of my portfolio in the governor's council's office in New York. And then from there was able to transition into MTA's general counsel. 
Um, so that was sort of my first leap to, to MTA was in the general counsel role uh, and served in that role for a while. Ultimately, you know, also served as the Long Island Railroad general counsel. Um, and then it, it, at some point thereafter was asked to come back to headquarters as the chief of staff for the MTA chairman uh, and served in that capacity for a while. And um, and then from there moved over to Metro North as executive vice president. And then uh, uh, when my boss, the president, retired, I became the president of Metro North and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, that's great. Well, it always warms my heart to see an attorney as one myself. See an attorney oh, in the top jobs. Yeah, yeah. Well, but that's the thing. I, you know, I, I know so many unhappy lawyers, right? I mean, people it's go to law truth. school, you know, <laughs> like me, like liberal arts major, went to law yeah, school. I was a history you know, major and then yeah. did that. And I, I knew yeah. I didn't want to practice law. Just, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I practiced for, for like five like minutes, right? I practiced yeah. for five minutes. I wasn't happy, didn't enjoy it. So now I'm, I'm in a job that I never could have envisioned when I was in law school. Um, but it's just been, you know, the ride of a lifetime. I'm just, you know, so honored and thrilled to be in the position of both railroads. It's just, it's been just terrific. That is great. Tell us about what you see. I mean, in, in all those capacities that you got to see a good context for transportation, commuter rail in general. I mean, you're, you're, yeah. uh, you know, in a role where you can, I think, uh, you're talking to commuter executives all over the world, I'm sure. And wh- where do you think we're headed as an industry? Yeah, I mean that that's that's a, a really good question, right? I mean, I think nobody knows, and I think that's kind of the mm-hmm. scary thing. I, I do think, sort of picking up on what I said a little while ago, I think we need to be we need to think bigger with respect to who our ridership is and can yes. be, because we don't have a choice, right? I mean, right. I, I think you know you can't necessarily assume. I think there was a you know sort of a brief snapshot in time where people thought we'd flatten the curve and we'd be back to normal in six months and like everything would be as it was before. And that's just not going to happen. Right. So, um, so I think we just need to sort of accept the reality of that, you know, keep the customers that we have attract more that want to ride with us uh, and just sort of develop a kind of a philosophy and a service plan to be, uh, you know, to be, innovative and thoughtful with respect to who else we might be able to attract back to the system, which is why, you know, to my point a little while ago, I'm kind of excited about the potential for that connectivity between Metro North and Long Island, right? Uh, That never existed before. It exists now. When Eastside Access was envisioned, you know, a million years ago, it was largely, you know, daily commuters from Long Island who work on the east side. It was really a, a commutation sort of centered project, and that's how we talked about it. And I think it's still, you know, that, of course, but I think that in terms of how we talk about it, I think we should talk about it in sort of a broader, you know, more comprehensive way and and try to unlock the, um, you know, the, the potential for kind of pulling in riders that were not necessarily envisioned when the, when the project was first, you know, kicked off, the, you know, whenever that was. Yeah. You know, a million years ago. So. Right. Yeah, and there's a comparable kind. There's a comparable effort on underway on the Metro North side, right? So, so there was recently a, ga- a groundbreaking for Penn Access, um, which will be, you know, a New Haven line service along the Amtrak right of way. So that will allow there to be a direct New Haven line connection from Metro North into Penn Station. Again, you've got you know connectivity there that doesn't currently exist, and you know, will that provide the opportunity for? you know, both the CBD bound, bound travel as well as, you know, reverse bound travel for, for folks who live in communities in the Bronx who don't currently have commuter rail experience. That's great. So connectivity between lines is a great way to promote new riders. I yeah. mean, I'm sure, do you guys have your own marketing department that reaches out and tells we people, do. you know, hey, you can ride to the museums or ball games or nightlife, those kind of things. Yeah. They yeah, may not we have, have promotions, you know, yeah. promotions and discounted tickets for with destinations around the city and all that stuff. I mean, you know, 
uh, being the head of both railroads. I mean, you know, summer in the Hamptons is, you know, sort of a big thing on Long Island. So you didn't get a lot yeah. of summer rail traffic on weekends on Long Island. And fall in the Hudson Valley is a big draw in Metro North Territory. So, you know, to what extent now, if you do have that connectivity, do you create new markets to be able to take advantage of some of sort of the unique attributes of both service territories? And we really want to build on that and, you know, explore other opportunities to be able to do that. That's awesome. Anything else you want to talk about today? I think that it's, uh, you know, it's a uniquely challenging time for, for you know, transit executives out there. Um, but, you know, challenging, but also really stimulating at the same time. We're having to be thoughtful about our ridership and our service in a way that we, I frankly, don't think we've ever been challenged to do. And, and I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's very energizing, I think, in a lot of ways for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy App, I had had him on the podcast a while ago and he was telling me, to be honest with you, Paul, we're kind of glad we don't have the peak of the peak anymore uh, <laughs> because we're able to take some of those, all those extra resources we had to throw at it and and blend it and reach more people than maybe we have in the past. So it sounds like you're taking this opportunity to this inflection point in the history of public transportation in New York City to reevaluate and repurpose some of what you've done and create new connections for your customers. Yeah, and also to sort of think, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, there's been a lot of discussion in recent years about, you know, sustainability and climate change and how do we make the case uh, and how do we build upon the existing case for the fact that, uh, you know, this kind of travel really, you know, from a climate change perspective is is something that we want to encourage more people to gravitate towards. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's it's an exciting time for a lot of reasons, and 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 so, you know, I've got great teams at both railroads, and then so, you know, we're we're getting down to it, and, and and trying to bring as many people back as possible. Well, thank you, Catherine Rinaldi, no, for sharing you. with us some of your plans and uh, and the successes you've got coming up. Can't wait till you have the announcement on the Grand Central Madison. Hope I can visit it sometime this year. I love taking the train up into uh, New York City from down here in Maryland, and uh, we wish you the very best. Thank you so much. It's been great being with you today. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Transit Unplugged, the podcast. How would you like to see behind-the-scenes footage of the agencies that Paul visits? Then be sure to check out the new Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube, where transit evangelist Paul Comfort dives into the culture, the food, and the transit of major cities around the world. You'll see the operations control centers, how maintenance shops work, and the latest innovations taking place at agencies around the globe as we work together to improve the lives of our transit riders and our communities. Be sure to subscribe to Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube or at transitunplugged.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged In-Depth with our special guest, Kathy Rinaldi. And next week on Transit Unplugged News and Views, our newsmaker interview will be with Rakesh Shaw, head of Open Innovation at Transport for London. And our leadership guest will be Larnzell Harper, manager of training and development at VIA Metropolitan Transit Authority in San Antonio, Texas. Now, in the meantime, don't forget to visit transitunplugged.com to sign up for the newsletter. So you're always in the loop with what's going on with the show. And if you need to reach us, you can email us at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.